Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and interesting places in the Pacific Northwest, discussing where to go, what to do, places to see, Jamie, today we're going to reminisce a little bit. Oh, yeah. 2019 was uh, a pretty fun year of travel for me. And, uh, Jim, I understand it was a pretty good year for you, too, huh? Oh, for sure. And we're going to take a look back at the year that was, reliving a couple of our favorite trips. And we're going to hear from two of our colleagues who have had some pretty cool adventure stories of their own to share with us. One of them, a year-long project dedicated to visiting 50 fun places, many of them around the region here, and the other, a visit to one of Oregon's most spectacular regions for a really long, awesome backpacking trip. One of my favorites, too. Well, let's get to it, then. Yeah, I think we should. Without further ado, we would like to welcome on Amy Wong, the Oregonian's newsletter editor and books columnist. Amy, how are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Hi, Jamie. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So first things first, Amy, we tracked you down because we saw on your Facebook page, you are in the midst right now of a project you're describing as your 50 Fun Places project. So could you tell us a little bit about what that is and and why you got it off the ground in the first place? So what it is, it's a celebration of the fact that I turned 50 earlier this year. Happy belated. Thank you. And I actually got the idea from several of my other friends who managed to hit that milestone before I did. And they were doing things like 50 activities um, or 50 places I want to visit. And I wanted to do my own version. And so I came up with 50 fun places, which is basically me keeping a very loose diary on Facebook of places that I've gone to and where I've had a good time. Did you map out 50 places to start with? Or are you kind of adding these up as you go along? It's very organic. So I go somewhere, I enjoy myself there, and I take a picture and it becomes one of my 50 fun places. And we've seen photos of you, anyone who's friends with you on Facebook, you know, the thankful among us. Uh, <laughs> we've seen, you know, a snapshot from a Mount Hood waterfall. Uh, we've seen photos from the coast and also more local stuff as well. So kind of walk uh, our, our listeners through maybe the scope of what you've got going on here. Well, the idea was to make it really accessible 
to Mm -hmm. people as sort of a a recommendations list in disguise as well. So I didn't want it to be somewhere where you would have to drop a ton of money to get to, or it would be really hard to get to with an occasional exception. But, you know, the first place on the list is Lincoln City. Um, Happened to be there with some friends for a baseball tournament and took a picture on the beach and said, here I am in Lincoln City. Um, Another time I happened to be walking through my neighborhood, spotted a friend in a pie shop, went in to talk to her, turned out there was a band playing, had a really great time. So that made the list. Um, Other places have been from family vacations that we took. But the idea is to make it accessible to folks. So it's not an envy list, as Mm -hmm. it were, Mm -hmm. but a place that, hey, maybe I'd like to go there too and try it out as well. What's maybe a favorite uh, you visited so far? Boy, I would have to say the Oregon Historical Society, Hmm. which is often overlooked, I think. One thing folks may not know is that Multnomah County residents get in for free. You just have to show your ID. And then once you're in, they have a whole bunch of smaller exhibits on a whole variety of topics. A friend was visiting one weekend and we hopped in there and we spent, you know, a good two, three hours there. Really? Wow, that's pretty great. One of the things I really like about your approach, Amy, is, you know, when people talk about planning trips and doing travel, it can seem really overwhelming. Like, oh, I have to take this really big adventure somewhere, this huge vacation. But It's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. But what I love about your approach is, is that, like what you said earlier about how it can be something really simple um, and it can be something local. It's a really nice way to find that, um, that simple joy in some of these places that are just all around us. Yeah. And another thing I tried to do is I tried to make it as Oregon as possible. Mm-hmm. So one of the items on the list is Timberline Lodge where I took some out-of-town visitors this summer. Another one is Ron Tonkin Field, where the Hillsboro Hops play. Talk about very, you know, community-level destination. There's the Portland Farmer's Market. Again, took a visitor from out of town there. Are we sensing a theme? I, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's sort of an uh, opportunity for me to play tourist in my own town, too, which is another theme. Has this project so far changed the way that you view traveling or view um, going to fun places? Well, it's made me appreciate how much fun you can have just on the spur of the moment. Another place on this list is the Multnomah French Quarter, which is a relatively newer destination. It's in southwest Portland, and it is a food cart pod with indoor and outdoor seating. And I had a day off from work recently. I decided to take a really long walk. When I finished my walk, I found myself near the Multnomah French Quarter, and I was tired and hungry. So I sat down and I texted my husband, who works from home, and I said, hey, want to come over and join me for lunch? And that was so that was something that just happened on the spur of the moment. We each had really good meals, enjoyed a nice chat over lunch. It was a very pleasant setting indoors uh, where we had retreated because it was cold. And I thought, this is a fun place. Fun place and kind of like Jamie said earlier, one of those simple joys of just being able to share a good meal on a weekday. It doesn't have to be an extravagant three-day trip that you've planned, reserved a hotel for, made a big drawn-out you know, travel itinerary. It's simply, hey, you, know, you want to come out for lunch? 
all of that said, I know you said this is organic, but I'm sure you've got a couple of ideas of where you want to take this. Anything in the works or anything coming up next that you're excited about? Well, uh, snow season is almost upon us or is upon us. Is upon us. Is is absolutely upon us. (laughs) That's right. And as as we know from listening to your previous podcast. Absolutely. And um, so I'm a snowshoer. And so I'm kind of starting to draft a list of where I might want to snowshoe this winter. Very nice. Sure, at least one of those will show up on the 50 fun places there list. you go i like that maybe bennett pass or one of the snow parks up on mount hood everything sounds good oh right yeah now. <laughs> i like that so amy for listeners who might be inspired to take on a project of their own that is similar to this 40 new restaurants for the 40th birthday or 25 day trips to the 25th or whatever the case may be do you have any tips on helping people get this kind of project going I think posting really helps. Um, I have a friend who decided to do a list over the summer where she was going to visit every branch of the Multnomah County Library. And Hmm. so she did it on Instagram. And so posting helps hold yourself really accountable for making a list because other people see it and they say, hey, what's the next fun place? So that's what's been helpful for me in keeping it going. And that shares it too. It, It seems like that shareable factor adds to the experience for yourself. Yeah, and it's fun to read other people's comments. When I post about a place and somebody responds, oh, hey, and they tell their story, um, that makes it really fun. And to share it, too, with folks from out of town, I know you've rattled off a couple of places where I take folks, you know, Timberline Lodge being one of them, the Oregon Coast, another. It's a great way to share and remind yourself of, wow, you know, we do live in a pretty great place. We're pretty lucky. Yeah, I mean, I could have made this 50 fun places in Oregon if I wanted to. That would have been very easy. You could do it in Portland, for that matter, (laughs) if you so chose. (laughs) You really could. I like the wider scope. That's fun. Well, Amy, thank you so much for sharing your project with us. I know you've certainly inspired me, and I'm sure Jim, too, and I'm sure some of our listeners to appreciate these simple, uh, fun places that are all around us already. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us. Thank you. Maybe we should do something like that ourselves. Who knows? I'm going to go check out the French Quarter. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Trip for lunch, why don't we? There we go. All right, folks, we will be right back after a short break with my colleague from the Oregonians Breaking News team, Shane Dixon Cavanaugh, who took a big trip this summer backpacking Southern Oregon's Rogue River Trail. We're back with Shane Dixon Cavanaugh, the intrepid Oregonian breaking news reporter, and for a few days this past summer, Rogue River Trail backpacker. Shane, how you doing? Hi, Jim. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So, Shane, Jamie here has written about the Rogue River Trail, and that's my only introduction to the place, kind of seeing its its vistas, riverside waterfalls, you name it. But before we kind of get to your whole trip and the scope of it, put our listeners there. Describe what it's like to wander your way through this place. Well, I think a lot of folks would right off the bat characterize the Rogue River Trail as kind of the quintessential southern Oregon hike. It's a 40-mile stretch of trail that runs uh, entirely along the Rogue River throughout a stretch of canyon starting from just kind of northwest of Grants Pass. And I mean, you can follow, you can actually take the trail all the way to Gold Beach, but kind of the classic trail that most people end up doing ends about 40 miles from Gold Beach. Very cool. And Shane, you got a couple boys at home, uh, little guys, and and don't have every weekend to get away on kind of a a 
backpacking trip or something like that. Why did you choose the Rogue River Trail as one of your big trips of the of of 2019 really well i had never done much hiking um down in southern oregon and i'm a big avid uh outdoors person when it comes to exploring beautiful and scenic places throughout our state and uh, a good buddy of mine up here uh from high school and i wanted to meet up with another friend of ours who actually lives in arcata California now. So we actually thought that uh, the Rogue River Trail would be kind of a perfect halfway meeting point between Arcata and Portland. Um, It was still relatively early in the summer because one of the difficulties with doing the Rogue River Trail is it can get brutally, brutally hot. Yes, it can. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, But we were lucky enough. We went in sort of mid or late July and had uh, just a a spell of pretty mild weather, mild by comparison. I mean, I think the highs were maybe barely above 80 during the day. And sometimes uh, during a real brutal stretch of summer, it can get up into the uh, it can crack a hundred easily. Yeah, the heat can really radiate through those canyons and come off the walls and off the trail itself. So it's like walking through a furnace sometimes when it gets really bad. Yeah, and, and in fact, uh, a lot a lot of times if you're going to do that trail in the summertime, they encourage folks to sort of start at where we ended. So on kind of the westernmost part of the trail, so that way you're you're walking most of the day without the uh, sun beating down on your back. Mm. But uh, we we were but it's also you know one of the tricky things with doing the Rogue River Trail is transport and kind of uh, getting yourself uh, from from point A to point B and then back. So it was kind of easiest for us to start on that that eastern part, which is, uh, you know, the Grave Creek entrance into the into the trail. Yeah, the Rogue River Trail is really interesting as a backpacking trail because you think of backpacking in Oregon. A lot of times it's backpacking around Mount Jefferson Wilderness or Timberline Trail. But the Rogue River Trail is um, different in that it's relatively flat and there's a lot of different ways you can stay there. So you've got several lodges along the trail, Um, like the Paradise Lodge is probably the most popular, the best one. If you wanted to, you could hike lodge to lodge, which is a way that a lot of people do it when they don't have to carry as much stuff. If you're new to backpacking or you just don't want to carry a big heavy uh, pack, you can do that lodge to lodge trip a little easier. Because it it follows the Rogue River directly the whole time, you can do uh, rafting. On the I'm sure you saw a lot of rafters out there. Yeah. What I was going to say is, I mean, that stretch of the Rogue River, which follows almost all of the designated wild and scenic area, but you also get into the actual Rogue River wilderness. But I mean, that, that stretch of water is best known as a very popular rafting area. So, I mean, <laughs> even though it gets pretty remote and you get into the wilderness while you're out there, you're never really that alone. On the trail, I think we only ran into maybe one or two other hikers. And we did this kind of fast. We did this in three days and two nights because we were on a tight timetable and had to get back home to the kids and stuff like that. But, you know, you see dozens of rafters every single day kind of a pick-your-own-adventure kind of place. It is, uh, and there's definitely a lot of uh, a, a lot of different adventures you can have. I mean, because we didn't stay in any lodges. We camped out, but some of these lodges are very, very remote, but extremely nice as well. I mean, pretty luxurious digs, especially if you've put in 
12 to 15 miles on a hot summer day. So are we ta- when we say lodge, are we talking rustic outposts? Are we talking someone's in there making you a hot meal? You've got a mattress to sleep on. Jamie, you're nodding your head. You're familiar yeah, with this. It's the latter. Um, I've stayed at the Paradise Lodge. You stay there and you get your meals cooked for you. That's part of the cost you pay. You get a warm bed. Um, there's activities. They've got you know um, all kinds of stuff for you to do. And you can hike or raft in or out from there. And we were talking about different adventures you can take on the Rogue River Trail. Of course, there's the jet boats too, oh, which man. the lower part, basically um, from Gold Beach to the Paradise Lodge, you can take a jet boat in that far. Hmm. A lot of people do that to get to the lodge uh, or just as a day trip. Huh. But if you wanted to, you could take take your backpack, jet boat up to the Rogue, the Paradise Lodge and hike your way back down. Interesting. There's a lot of ways you can do it. And that's what's so cool about, I think, about this trail in huh. particular. Yeah, and one sort of little fun fact about the Rogue River and when you're talking about jet boats. So I recently uh, came across the fact that in the United States now, there are only two parts in the country where the U.S. Postal Service still delivers mail exclusively by boat. And it's a number of Rogue River town communities up that stretch of river. Um, you know, and that boat is based out of Gold Beach, but it goes, you know, it goes upstream to deliver mail. So it's a U.S. Postal Service boat. And then the other place where they do that is the Snake River uh, on the Oregon-Idaho border. So you talked about, Jamie, the lodge experience. And Shane, you said you camped. So is is this one of the situations of you're going from specific campground to campground or set up facility or are you plopping down in kind of semi-established camps along the trail what's the deal i mean you're pretty much allowed to lay down a sleeping bag or pitch a tent wherever you can but there are i mean i'd have to say dozens of designated camp spots along the entire trail uh you can you can get down to some of those beach areas where rafters uh, often uh, set up for the night, so you're allowed to go there. But there's also a number of sort of primitive campgrounds sprinkled throughout. Some areas have toilets and porta potties. Other ones are even more bare bones than that. But then the other thing too, I mean, it it, it doesn't ever feel all that primitive because uh, since uh, that whole area is populated by a large number of black bears as well, (laughs) uh, you get into, you know, areas that are set up with uh, really tricked out bear boxes so you don't get your food snatched. And they even have these like electric fences. Yeah, the bear fences are great. Yeah, that that you want to, that they encourage you to put your stuff in at night so uh no bears go rifling through your backpack while you're sleeping so electric fence uh give me a visual here what's this look like i mean it's it's a small little square fenced in box and it was really funny because i've never seen anything like this (laughs) before and i actually thought for a second that maybe they wanted you to like camp out in the box (laughs) to protect yourself from bears but I figured out after uh, after a few minutes of thinking it through a little bit more that you actually are supposed to put your stuff in there so they can't get to it. Or they have these, I mean, these giant, like, cast iron boxes with complicated locks that even the most uh, intelligent bear isn't going to be able to figure out. I'll say one of the campsites I stayed at had a bear box that was completely busted open. Wow. And you could not lock it. Do you think a bear did it? I don't know. It could have been a human. I don't. I give these bears some credit because I've I have I've listened to camping out there. I've listened to people's food that they hang. I listen. I, I stayed up at night and I heard them uh, bear, bears come in and take their food from their hanging lines. 
Did they not hang it correctly, presumably, or the bear just... Maybe. I mean, I've heard stories about, like, bears getting on each other's shoulders to get to food. <laughs> Sounds like an urban legend to me, Jamie. <laughs> but that's why they have bear fences, yeah. because, I mean, look, these bears are smart, and if you're not careful with your food, they're going to get it. And they put up signs all over the place, right at the trailhead, and these warnings about bears, and I still remember... Uh, I mean, one of the things that I think one of these signs said is just like, the bears have lost their fear of man. Like, <laughs> they, if, if, they, if you give them the chance, they're going to bother that crap out of you. I mean, it didn't say that, but that was sort of the message. That's, that's the MO. <laughs> so did you see any? That's the question. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, we got actually uh, – because we, <laughs> we only – again, we only did two nights uh, camping out, but the second night – I remember it was getting to be about sort of dusk time. I was just sitting down kind of near where we had – we had never even bothered to pitch tents. We were just going to sleep under the stars because it was such beautiful weather. And I remember I looked over at my buddy, and he's like, hey, Shane, you want to see a bear? And uh, he pointed over, and we saw it was just this bear that was just kind of slinking in through the brush by our camp, <laughs> oh, just man. trying to be real sneaky and stealthy because he was going to make a run for our stuff. <laughs> uh, and honestly, um, bears may have lost the fear of man, but I have not lost my fear of bears. And <laughs> I was a little spooked by it. My go-to is always like, I take care of my food myself. And the bear does not mess with me personally, then I'm not going to mess with the bear. It can come. It can go. It's its forest, too. I'm just going to let it do its thing. Yeah, absolutely. But we did see the bear. And I mean, that's always I mean, that kind of is unsettling because then you're going to bed again. Like I said, we weren't we were sleeping under the stars. So kept sort of thinking if that bear bear was going to come back. Wasn't horrible. Bears aside, any advice you would give to the Rogue River Trail hiker of 2020? Well, it's certainly possible to do the trail in three days like we did, three days and two nights, but that means you're putting in a minimum of 12 to 15 miles a day and Actually, our feet got kind of tired by the third day. If you can sort of take your time and just enjoy it a little bit more. I mean, when you're hiking for eight to 10 hours a day, you enjoy a lot. And also the maps that you can pick up off the U.S. government website and stuff. I mean, these maps are pretty detailed, and there are dozens of points of interest all along the way. I mean, that whole stretch of the Rogue River drew settlers and gold miners over 150 years ago. That was what that whole area was initially known for. So there's a lot of great sort of remains behind, I mean, old cabins and mining areas. And and I think a lot of folks who know the river well also are instantly reminded. Of, I mean, Zane Gray, the uh, the famous Western author, had a cabin on the river there and it's still standing and it's pretty cool to check out super cool one point of advice i'll i'll just toss in here too you you alluded to this earlier shane about getting transportation from one trailhead to the other oh yeah yes. this is a big deal because um people who leave their cars at the grave creek trailhead or either a lot of times people will come and steal wheels off of cars or break into cars and so what i would recommend is connecting with one of the rafting services yeah in in that's what we did in merlin uh, merlin's kind of the last town before you get out to the trailhead and there are at least a half dozen rafting outfits there and they all also offer a shuttle service so basically you leave your car they'll go and pick your car up that same day they take it to a secure lot and then you give them an estimated time of when you're planning to get off trail and they'll have the car for you by that time that's the way to do it for yeah sure. and, and it's not and it, it was surprisingly inexpensive i think it was like a hundred bucks yeah. maybe 
Well, peace of mind is is worth the money sometimes. Uh, when you're on trail, last thing you want to be thinking about is, boy, I hope my car is doing all right back at the trailhead. Exactly. Well, Shane, I, I know you've certainly inspired me to get back down to that part of the state. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to um, come down and talk with yeah, us. Yeah, well, th- th- thanks for having this podcast. It's great. It's our pleasure. <laughs> it's been fun. Thank you, Shane. All right, man. Take care. Okay, Jim, now that it's just the two of us, there's something really important I need to ask you. <laughs> All right, Jamie, what's that? What was your favorite trip of 2019? You mean I've, I've got to pick one? One. One. A single trip. If you can. I mean, I mean can... can I give you four? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could probably do one, but I'd rather give you four. I'll give you four, then. All right, I'll make it quick. Okay. So let's do three. So three very different trips. One was the most recent kind of big adventure fun that I have had. In early November of this year, my girlfriend and I ran the 30-mile Wildwood Trail here in Portland. Oof. And and by run, I mean run and walk and hike and rest <laughs> and limp and the whole deal. But we made it through. We made a video uh, for our Peak Northwest Companion video series. You guys can go check out if you would like. It's a great uh, video. On the Oregonians YouTube channel. But that was a really fun way to push ourselves uh, and try something new. We are not usually 30-mile runners. Another big push for some of my friends and I this year was climbing Mount Rainier, the tallest oh, yeah. mountain here in the Pacific Northwest. Kind of a culmination of a lot of the backpacking and mountaineering and snow camping and trip planning skills that we've all kind of compiled over the years, did that trip unguided uh, up the Disappointment Cleaver route, which is a very commonly guided route that we had a lot of fun on. What was it like at the top of Mount Rainier? It's a good question. I mean, it looks, if you've ever seen kind of the top of some of these glaciated peaks in photos, you know, depending on the time of year, it could be all snow and ice. It could be some exposed rock. One of the interesting things about uh, a mountain such as Mount Rainier or Mount Hood is you are not surrounded by other peaks of similar size. You're an island in the sky in that regard, where there are other smaller peaks. There's the Tatouche Range and Little Tahoma right there in Mount Rainier National Park in the surrounding area, but there's no other comparable 14,000-foot peak anywhere nearby like you would see in maybe the Sierra or something like that. So you're really up there, and you've got a long, long, long view. That was a real hallmark of the year. Yeah, it sounds like a real accomplishment. Um, thank you. I I was. I mean, it's a route many many people do each year. It's kind of the trade route up Mount Rainier. Lots of guided parties, lots of climbers on any given day. I think most likely the easiest way up and down the mountain. But it was still. It felt like a culmination of a lot of skills put together. That was a lot of fun uh, and a good test for my friends and I. Well, I know you've got a third here. I'm not sure how you're going to top climbing to the top of Mount Rainier, but what's your third one? Third one was just a, a different kind of trip. Again, my, my girlfriend, Brooke, and I did kind of this big looping road trip and backpacking trip through up through Washington into British Columbia and Alberta. I think it was a three-night, four-day backpacking trip and some other sightseeing, shorter stuff and day hikes over the course of about a week in the summertime. And that was just a, a new way for me to experience a region that I had never never set foot in before. I'd been up kind of Vancouver way and up to Squamish, kind of more along the western, you know, s- side of BC, but never into the interior and over into Alberta. So, with those three three very different experiences, but distinct highlights for sure. Yeah, what a well-rounded 2019 you had. 
trying <laughs> trying <laughs> so that is the goal so jamie i i feel like i probably rambled here for like i could go on forever about all the fun How's that, that we've had yeah that we've had this year but all right i'm gonna put you on the hot seat uh, give me your list or if you can your top trip well you know what you you extended yours to three so i think i'm going to as well okay that's thank fair. you for that permission yeah. for me the first one that really comes to mind was uh the first one i did this year out in the wallawas in the springtime Okay. I'd been to Joseph in the summer. I'd been to Joseph in the fall. But this time I decided to go there in the spring to see some of the wildflowers that bloom at the Zumwalt Prairie. Hmm. So that is, if you're in Joseph, usually people go down to the Wallawa Mountains. Yeah. Um, but if instead you head up towards Hell's Canyon, which is another amazing mm-hmm. place to see, all these, the prairies and the grasslands out there on the side of the road in the springtime, they're just completely blooming with yellow and purple and white wow. wildflowers. and. To going out there, I took some pictures. I uh, was able to see wildflowers with the mountains behind, snow-capped wallows, wildflowers. I mean, you just really couldn't beat that trip. Sounds remarkable. It was great. And the more recent one, which, of course, we talked about in a previous podcast, was my trip out to central and southeast Oregon. Oh, yeah. We went to Alvord Desert, which um, if you didn't hear that podcast, you can. And uh, some other great places out there, too, like Steens Mountain, uh, Fort Rock, I thought was great. Um, I spent a couple of days in Christmas Valley, which is this little, mm-hmm. this kind of a remote, obscure place in central Oregon. And out there, I found this, one of my favorite places I found all year is a place called Glass Buttes. Okay. And it is right off the highway going towards Burns. Um, if you turn off, you can drive down this little dirt road and you pull off and it is just a huge deposit of obsidian. Huh. Which, for those who don't know, is volcanic glass, essentially. Um, and they have all different colors, your black obsidian, your sort of tiger-striped obsidian, wow. rainbow obsidian. And it's literally just littering the ground everywhere you look. It's a place where you can legally rock hound and take home pieces of it. So, of course, I did. And have a few big chunks of obsidian sitting proudly in my home now. Very cool. Very cool spot. Yeah. Huh. And this wasn't a work trip, but I have to throw in my uh, vacation to Scotland back at the end of May, um, beginning of June, which was just an epic adventure out to the Orkney Islands and the Shetland Islands up in the highlands of Scotland. It's a beautiful spot. Um, I had a friend who lives out there, and she drove us around, and we went to Muckleflugga. It's the northernmost point in the UK. Okay. And these great grassy cliff sides where you can watch puffins fly and skitter into little holes in the rock and hang out in the water and there's a big lighthouse out there you posted a, a, a little video clip of that I, <laughs> yeah. it, was it that same area yeah. on your instagram page yeah. or feed if you will exactly uh, a little bit ago and it looked mighty cool it's cool because scotland and oregon to me feel very similar where like we we pulled up to the hike up to Mucklefluga and it was completely socked in with rain and so like you know what just hang out in the car for a little bit and see if this passes and within like an hour it was beautiful and sunny and gorgeous again. Huh. Which just reminds me of going to the coast yeah. and having that same experience. Familiar right? vibes, exactly. for sure. For sure. Well, th- I mean, that is envy-inducing and maybe someday a trip that I will take myself. Get perhaps. out there, Jim. Who knows, man? Who knows? We've got tons of 2020 travel planning to do, mm-hmm. and we're going to take you through some of that in a, a future episode of the Peak Northwest podcast. But for now, Jamie, I think it's time to call it quits what do you say i think you're probably right all right folks this episode of peak northwest was produced by myself jim ryan alongside jamie hale and dave killen many thanks of course to our guests amy wong and shane dixon cavanaugh stay safe and happy travels everyone until next time we leave you with this 10 seconds of zen